The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of KUCI, its management, UC Board of Regents, or the traumatized population of Minneapolis. Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the April 6th, 2021 edition of Ask a Leader. Today, we'll first hear from Delane Easton, who is running for California Democratic Party Chair, challenging current chair Rusty Hicks. Rusty Hicks will be on next week's Ask a Leader program. In today's second segment is Branda Lynn, co-founder of Irvine Watchdog, holding Irvine elected and appointed officials accountable. We'll be right back. start the show now with my first guest, Delane Easton. She is challenging Rusty Hicks for the next four-year term of California's Democratic Party chair, the election of which is now underway and will close on April 21st. I'll summarize her career quite briefly. She taught at several community colleges, was a manager at telecommunications firms, then served on the planning commission and was subsequently elected to the Union City Council in Alameda County. Delane Easton was elected four terms in the California State Assembly representing Alameda and Santa Clara counties. She was appointed by both Governor Pete Wilson and Governor Gray Davis as State Superintendent of Public Instruction. After leaving office as State Superintendent, Delane Easton became the first Executive Director of the National Institute of Educational Leadership in Washington, D.C., then taught at Mills College. After that, she's been on the public speaking circuit and board member on issues of education, policy, nutrition, and electing women to public office. Delane Easton was board president of Close the Gap California, a campaign to increase the number of progressive women in California legislature by recruiting talented progressive women to run for targeted winnable seats. In addition, Delane Easton continues her board work with the UC Center Sacramento Advisory Board, the Chancellor's Women in STEM Board at UC Davis, the Edible Schoolyard Advisory Board, the Center for Nutritional Education Advisory Board at UC Davis, and the Yolo County Advisory Board for Court-Appointed Special Advocates. Delane Easton completed her bachelor's degree from UC Davis and her master's in political science at the University of California, Santa Barbara. She comes to us today from her home in Davis. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Superintendent Assemblywoman Council Member Delane Easton. May I say uh, the superintendency job is elected statewide. So I'm the first and only woman elected to be California Superintendent of Public Instruction. Thank you. I did you. serve under, under a Republican and a Democratic uh, governor, but I was elected. Uh, and uh, there's still only been one woman who was elected Superintendent of Public Instruction, that's me. Thank you. Well, I'd like to post listeners that for each question I'll have the opportunity to ask, I certainly have 10 more. My main concerns are going to be election campaigns and results with an emphasis on Orange County races. But briefly though, Delaney Easton, how do you envision channeling the divergent players in the state? Is your way of running for this office an indicator of how you'd fill this role as chair of the Democratic Party of California? Well, 
to as much of extent as possible. The, the COVID situation makes it hard for me to get out and about and actually go physically to the counties. But when I was superintendent of public instruction, I did visit all 58 counties. I went to a school each and every week, usually went to half a dozen or, and I would make it a point to visit every corner of California. So I was in Orange County many times. And in fact, while I was um, the superintendent, the teacher of the year for California was from Orange County and she went on to be the national teacher of the year. Marion Murchison? Mar Marlon Murray, she was just an amazing human being. Okay. And uh, we, had a, we had a wonderful uh, set of experiences in Orange County. You have some marvelous school districts down there. Great okay. kids. Thank you. So the immediate order of business is about the role and responsibilities you see that the California Democratic Party chair has in the recall of California Governor Newsom at this point and, uh, and were it to qualify for a statewide ballot measure. Well, I mean, the, the Republican Party has become rather weakened statewide and they cannot win a governor's race by the usual means. But they've figured out that if they run a recall, they because it's an easier uh, target, they can uh, maybe can't win the governor's race, but they can take the governor out and then replace him with a Republican for through a recall, which is exactly what happened to Gray Davis with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And uh, I would just argue that this is uh, completely unjustified and uh, it's not appropriate that they would uh, they would take out the governor because he's done nothing wrong. I mean, you can't say we we had a far worse uh, administration of the COVID-19. Uh, California did better than some states. And, you know, a lot of the responsibility belongs to the to the president of the United States that we had such a terrible problem with it. You can't say it was Gray Davis because other states did, uh, in some cases, worse than we did in terms of their rates. So. I just think we ought to use recall very, very, uh, in a very limited way, only when something terrible has gone wrong. And the, you cannot say that this governor has done something terrible. So looking at your bandwidth, or maybe the part, state parties, does this recall effort draw away from resources and attention from 2022, or does it galvanize statewide party campaigns, Delaney Easton? I, I think it, it distracts us from the job one, which is to, uh, you know, dust, pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off and get going to building a great future for California. And uh, what we ought to be doing is focusing on the platform of the party and getting uh, a much more visible leadership in the party. We ought to have, um, you know, a much more open approach to governance and uh, the party chair should be out and about talking in uh, red and purple and blue counties about the future of California. So it looks like it's, it's very likely that California will be losing a congressional seat this year, year. Are you watching closely the California Citizens Redistricting Commission process underway? Well, the party chair doesn't have a lot to do with the redistricting commission. It just, you know, it has to live with the, with the uh, suggestions that are made. I would just hope that 
that we have, you know, logical, rational drawing of these districts, and then that we have a really good shot, I believe, of actually winning more seats. Uh, the truth is that there's a real dynamic change occurring in California. Many people are moving out of counties like Orange County, out of the Bay Area, out of LA, and they're moving more into the valley and into some of the foothills and the more rural parts of the state because it you can now we've learned how to do distance work. So you don't have to live next door to the place that you work. If you work from home, you can do that from a hundred miles away and uh, 200 miles away. And uh, the truth is that uh, I think you're gonna see a lot more uh, Democrats moving into some of these rural areas. They'll sell a modest tract home and uh, a more urban part of the state and move into a more uh, a less expensive uh, area where they can buy the Ponderosa for what they sold a small house for. <laughs> so uh, how then um, do you have a plan for then sort of chasing that kind of scattered electorate that you'd already cultivated some kind of a, a relationship with? I do. I want to see us as a party become organized so that we're active year round and we're really, you know, building a, a groundswell of interest in uh, nonpartisan races. Uh, we, because California doesn't have party involvement uh, in, in when we elect people to city councils and school boards uh, officially, but we could do more to uh, encourage uh, people to run for these offices and to do more to get more nimble about uh, having local governments that really do reflect our values and do reflect the importance of planning for the future and uh, <clears throat> really getting people uh, uh, excited about how we can build a bench of really good people that will worry about um, you know, uh, engagement and worry about really democracy. You know, one of, many of our young people are signing up to vote as no party preference because they don't always feel that we have as much a direct interest in the day-to-day -day operations of our communities. We need to have that interest. It's really important that we have great people on our school boards and wonderful people on our city councils and on our water districts and on our boards of supervisors. We need people that are gonna roll up their sleeves and get things done and, and uh, not only ask why, but ask why not. And uh, I do believe that we can do a lot more in California to excite the, the future, uh, excite the young people of the future. And uh, I want very much for us to have a party that is engaged and involved all year, not just when it's time for an election. I'll get to the local government aspect and farm team building and uh, the latter portion of this time together, but um, we'll take up the congressional seats first. But first I wanna let my listeners know, my guest in this segment is Delaine Easton, former state superintendent of education, assemblywoman and local government official. She's running for the next term of the California Democratic Party chair, We're recording this on April 3rd. Well, there are several of the, the congressional district losses that occurred in 2020. Several of them were right here where I'm seated. And uh, one of them was in the 39th, another in the 48th. Uh, but I'd like to go down and see what you are uh, addressing in the 
shortcomings uh, of those races. If you want to say something specifically about Young Kim's victory was very narrow in the 39th congressional district, and then I'll move on to some of the other races in the congressional districts. Well, I do think the Democratic Party was not as uh, boots on the ground as it should have been. We should have had more actual, we should have organized more people from that district, from the 39th, to be involved and engaged with the candidate of her reelection, who was a Democrat. We should have been uh, really excited and enthusiastic about door-to-door um, -door work and, and engaging people, uh, or phone-to-phone -phone work, I should probably say, but engaging people in the community in working on this. And it should have been more um, of a grassroots kind of thing. I, it isn't just about hiring a company who designs good media or good mailers, it's about really reaching out personally to people and saying, you know, uh, here's our candidate. He's really got, uh, you know, a great interest and great energy and this is what he's gotten done. And this is why it's important to us. I think the party needs to work more to be um, not big tent, but more neighborly, more like here's what it means to us here in this community today. And I really think we could do a lot more to get young people and older people and everybody in between uh, on, the, on, uh, on fire to help build a future that is about, you know, having, having the great platform that we have carried into the future. So we have, we have uh, the need for a lot more um, energy from the party to get real local people into these targeted races and to, um, you know, do the things we need to do to build a great future for California, whether it's education or the environment or whether it's uh, transportation and infrastructure or housing, the party's got to have a clear message. And then we've got to say, this is how it relates to us in this, the 39th district. In the 45th, Incumbent Katie Porter has built an amazing national profile. I think that is going to have a wholly different dynamic than really most of the other congressional districts in the Orange County area. So I want to know, I, I imagine, imagining that there's a huge target on her back that sort of just the way she's uh, un, unabashedly led from the 45th, if you have a, a fine tuning of how you want to ward off the incoming attacks on her campaign and, and vision for 2022. Well, here again, I think it's about, you know, not hiring a company to come in to design very expensive flyers and mailers. It's about, you know, getting people engaged personally in uh, Katie and in the work she has been doing, uh, understanding her agenda and understanding her platform and then uh, communicating how it affects people for the better in Orange County in her district. And I think um, we have an opportunity to do that um, using people that live and work in Orange County. You know, you're near UC Irvine. Uh, we can get some of these UC students out to be involved. But I would argue we should do more to engage even students before they can vote, high school students to understand that um, the, the real joy of working politically. And I guess that's one of the things that I 
I want us to understand is that the, the people that founded this country weren't a bunch of old guys. We think of them as old because they were wearing all those white wigs, <sighs> but there were, there were older people. And, and like uh, Washington was in his 40s. Uh, Jefferson was in his 30s. Madison and Monroe, one was still a teenager when they started and the other one was in his 20s. So there's a lot of uh, room for our younger and older people to work together on a sense of mission that should be what this country is about, should be what Orange County is about, should be what California is about. A sense that we're building a future that will, yes, have a clean environment, great schools and wonderful transportation and uh, really good housing. And so, so I just want to say that I think um, we have an opportunity to, to um, excite people and invite people to work on a team together. And that's, that's one of the things we have to do because it's fun. So I'm going to skip over uh, 46th Congressional District member Lou Correa because I, I think his, he's in a much safer seat. The dynamics are different. But I really want to hone in on incumbent con Congresswoman Michelle Steele in the 48th. And that one, I, I was watching from the win, Harley Ruda's win from 2018 in going into the 2020 general election. And it just didn't seem like there was traction in the way in 2020, like there was in 2018. And there was an unforced error. And I don't know if, how familiar you are with the unforced error committed by a central committee member in Orange County that gave Michelle Steele the kind of fodder she could play identity politics in spades with, high, high number spades. But, so I wanna know, what are you doing in particular in that race? Well, I mean, I'm focused obviously right now, Claudia, on the race for Democratic Correct. Party. Chair. But what do you envision? <laughs> yes. But I, I do believe that we have an opportunity to uh, excite a lot of people about uh, winning back that seat and about taking Orange County but into a more progressive future where we have, you know, uh, th things we're working for and not just things we're working against. And that's really um, the whole point of democracy is that you, you don't just try to dig in and stop things from happening. We need to be about making things happen and about building a brilliant future for the next generation and the one after that. But that means we have to be much more uh, nimble about things like the environment. I mean, there's not enough being done despite the, you know, uh, uh, there's been some progress, but there's not enough being done about the Green New Deal and about getting rid of fracking and about new sources of clean energy being, uh, being advanced in California. We should be at the very cutting edge in the whole country. And uh, that's what needs to happen if we're gonna be a, you know, a spotlight for the world. And uh, when you know, we have a lot of first world counterparts in Europe, for example, who are doing things like um, you know, uh, clean energy efforts. And we have, we have a lot of untapped potential here in California. And that's what I wanna see us do as a party. Uh, encourage, yes, the progressive people to run, but help them to win so we can move ahead. And the research tells us that um, there's a real opportunity to excite people about the future when there's a sense that somebody's going to be able to make things happen. And that's what we have to do. And that's what, uh, why it's important to, uh, you know, 
reelect the Katie Porters and move the more progressive people to the forefront of the uh, of the races and not just have people that are trying to hunker down and stop things from happening. So now with incumbent Mike Levin in the 49th, it's now this is where the state party chair has a, a, a more effective role in terms of his district overlaps two different counties and he, he doesn't do well in Orange County, but as a state chair that you'd be, it would involve this, the, it's, a, it's a broader region that that congressional district takes up. So I don't know if you had anything uh, in addition to what you've already said about congressional race strategies. Is there anything else in addition for the 49th? I just think we need to get more boots on the ground. We need to get more people out there that are talking about what we can and should be doing in the future. And that there needs to be more uh, enthusiastic outreach to uh, people that have just recently moved in and those who are, who are um, uh, in that district that have not been hearing enough of, you know, local activism. It can't all be about what you mail and what you send uh, electronically. It needs to be, uh, it needs to be much more uh, enthusiastic and much more about what we can do and not what we're against. And that's what I want to see our party be much more about. Uh, this is our vision. This is our dream, this is where we're headed, as opposed to uh, sourpuss. So we don't know where, what movements, what kinds of, uh, of reactions, activist sorts of rallying points are gonna be happening leading up into the 2022 campaign season. I, I just observed in 2020 in the summer, there were Black Lives Matter rallies all over Orange County. And it seemed to be that there was a little bit of a, a kind of a leap that young voters were taking, that they, they saw some connection with their turning out and they started to learn that, no, you don't, you don't ask electeds to resign because you don't like what they're doing. You have to vote them out. So they were sort of getting their civics lesson on the street in a sense. So I don't know, if you see a value in tacking on to, let's say there there may be a, a like a maybe a, there'll be a later reaction and something like the the George Floyd trial right now in Minneapolis, but there be there'll be a rallying there. There'll be a rallying. There'll be a, an anti hate um, anti Asian hate rally in uh, Fountain Valley later after this taping on April third today that in those rallies are opportunities to sort of push out civic lessons. And like you were talking about the engaging that the joy of being involved politically, is that a useful kind of opportunity for expanding participation for the party? I think it is. I think we, we though also as a party need to, uh, as we engage, we also need to be more sensitive to how diverse the Asian community is, that it isn't just one lump sum of people, but it is um, made up of a very diverse um, group of folks from many different countries. And we need to be much more uh, uh, individualistic as well as more unified in supporting uh, every, every ethnic group against any kind of discrimination, but also recognizing the individuality of each group and uh, the young people uh, want us to be 
enthusiastic and want us to be constructive and want us to be uh, forward thinking and, and want us to be embracing of diversity, but also in a way that respects diversity. So I, I think uh, we, we need to make sure that everybody has a voice in this party and that it is a party that treats each group with respect and uh, celebrates each group. And when we do that, we, uh, you know, we're really living up to the Statue of Liberty and the, and the eth ethic of uh, this being the, the most wonderful uh, uh, group of nationalities the world has ever seen working and living together in peace and harmony with a sense of purpose. We've had our differences. We've got to make sure that we as Democrats celebrate our, our unity and our, our working uh, in conjunction with one another for a better future for our kids. So the final question, Delaney Easton, is what, what would your plans be then for, you earlier talked about local office opportunities, what would your plans be for building the farm team, either at the state, but more so the local office level? Well, I hope we can do more to um, invite people to trainings and to um, uh, group meetings and to regional meetings and uh, have people get to develop their skills. Um, we ought to be doing local organizing year round, but much of what you learn when you learn about local organizing will also pay you great dividends when the time comes to help someone in an assembly race or a Senate race or a congressional race. So we, but we need to make this not just something we get up every two years and do, but something that we do every month of every year uh, to work together on good causes. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the election of a person. It could be, you know, uh, getting together to support a school board uh, election in one area or a school bond election in another. And um once you get engaged locally, you'll discover you have amazing, wonderful neighbors and that they are uh, fun to be around and that working on a project, whether it's um, to you know, uh, build a new high school gymnasium or to um, build a new child development center or to uh, improve the, uh, the uh, bike lanes so that kids are safer when they go to and from school on their bikes whatever these projects are, they can be democratic projects. And then uh, you learn your neighbors' uh, wonderful features and their neighborliness and their comradeship, and you'll wanna be engaging with them on other projects. And I just think the more we do that, you know, it's so American, the, the old barn raising and the old idea, the, the, the quilts that uh, women used to sit together and do. And I think this could be our quilting and our barn raising. It could be uh, that we're raising, you know, resources for our schools and or electing people to our water districts and to our uh, city councils and, and uh, working on uh, improvements generally for various aspects of our, of our communities. And uh, the Greeks believed that the act of participating with other people was, you know, wonderfully uh, improving for each individual. And so they, yes, they were the inventors of the word democracy, um, government by the people, demos and kratos, two Greek words. Uh, they also invented the word idiot, which meant one who does not participate in politics. Uh, 
And I believe that participation in politics, uh, by the way, they also believed you grew if you participated in athletics or in a music ensemble or drama production. The more we work together as neighbors and community members, and uh, the more we get to know each other, and especially those of us in, with diverse ethnic backgrounds, the better off we will all be by understanding the richness and, and, the, uh, and the diversity of our communities and our, and our counties and our state. I just think um, we're so lucky to live in California and we ought not to forget that and make it a better place to live because it's, uh, it is a neighborhood, not just a, play, not just a location, not, a, not just a destination on a map. So th there's an idea buried in the earliest part of that answer of yours. And I, I wanna, it's, it's an expansive wrap to that question that I, I want to, to raise with you while we're together because I'm, I'm hearing it sort of building that the Democrats don't necessarily own in the DNA long-term strategic planning. And I'm, I'm hearing with state legislatures around the country as their Republican controlled state legislatures are trying to suppress voting, I can hear state legislatures, state leadership using, they're all, they're all beginning to use the very same refrain. It's like they're all on message. What would you do as a Democratic party chair to sort of raise the strategic game, at least in California? Well, I was a strategic planner for one of the biggest companies in America. So I, I uh, know a little bit about strategic planning. And I just believe that, uh, yes, it's important to have plans, but it's also important that everybody understand what they are. What good is a plan if, you, if only the CEO knows what the plan is? So we need to be doing, yes, strategic planning, but we also need to engage and involve everyone in this sense of destiny. And when we do that, and by the way, it's so interesting to me that the, the state of California makes every city have a plan. You're required to have a general plan if you're an incorporated city. And so why wouldn't we want to have a plan as the party? And why wouldn't we uh, work on uh, getting people to understand the plan and to organize our activities around the plan such that we are constantly dreaming about moving ahead instead of trying to hold on to what we've got. And that's really the essence of the successful uh, enterprises in this world is they don't just hunker down and try to stay where they are. They're constantly dreaming about the horizon, about the future, about the destiny of, of their children and their children's children, even if they aren't born yet. And uh, I just think it's really incumbent on the Democratic Party to be doing planning and to be thinking about the horizon and what we're going to do tomorrow and the day after that and the year after that and five years after that. And it all has to be about, you know, uh, it can't be fiddle dee dee, we'll worry about that tomorrow. It has to be, we must take responsibility today to build brilliant tomorrows for our children and grandchildren. On that note, I want to thank you, Ms. Easton. I really appreciate your taking the time to be with us today. Well, call me Delane, Claudia, and I really appreciate the chance to speak with you. I thank you so much. 
Thank you, Delane. My guest was Delane Easton, former state superintendent of education, assemblywoman, local government official, now running for the next term of the California Democratic Party chair. Incumbent Rusty Hicks will be on next week's show. We'll be right back with Branda Lynn, co-founder of Irvine Watchdog. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. My next guest is Branda Lynn in what will be a two-part interview. Today, we'll talk about her building and running Irvine Watchdog, and next week, we'll pick up on the matter of asphalt emissions in the north side of town, an environmental saga, and a case of Irvine Watchdog in action. Branda Lynn is an Irvine native and co-founder of Irvine Watchdog, a volunteer-based website promoting transparency, honesty, and accountability from our local government. Her passion is to promote civic engagement and empower residents on local Irvine issues. Her professional life pursuits include paralegal work at several different Irvine law firms. She served as an Irvine Community Service Commissioner, Irvine Children Youth Families Advisory Committee member, a driver for Irvine's Meal on Wheels program, an organizer of Families Forward Food Drives, and is a board member of the National Women's Political Caucus, Orange County. Branda completed her Bachelor's of Arts in Political Science and Music Performance at UCI. She comes to us today from her home in Irvine. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Branda Lynn. Thank you so much for having me. Well, first, it's the classic, but I want for listeners who aren't as up to date as any of the total Muni geeks, talk about the formation of Irvine Watchdog created in May of 2018. And what is your charter, Brandilyn? Sure. So Irvine Watchdog grew out of what started in 2017, a citizen's effort regarding the Concordia University Expansion Project. Turtle Rock residents in the area were concerned about the increased traffic in their neighborhood, the increased noise. And what they started doing was looking into the traffic reports, environmental reports, and they had concerns. And what they realized was these concerns that they had with how these traffic reports were generated didn't just impact Turtle Rock, it impacted the entire city of Irvine. So they started what was called Irvine for Responsible Growth, which was a citizen's petition. And that's where I got involved. And through those efforts, we realized there were big forces in Irvine um, that were influencing the way decisions were being made. And so we created Irvine Watchdog. And it was to inform residents of the decision-making process, what's being decided, and just keeping eyes on, um, on our electeds and trying to hold them accountable. And I must say, it's a really a huge service that Irvine Watchdog is rendering because having Myself, just casually before I would host certain interviews about local government candidates, I would find it really, really difficult to follow the money uh, around. It's, it, and it, this, the process doesn't make it any easy. So uh, it's, I just want to say it's a, it's a marvel, and I hope listeners can make the watchdog a service that is useful to them in engaging and uh, in, in various civic ways. So do you also... Branda, consider other local electeds. That's the Board of Supervisor representing us on the 
uh, in the county level, the water board appointments and electeds, the community college district board electeds? So our focus is and has been really on Irvine City Hall. I mean, there's so much to cover between the city council, the Great Park Board, our four commissions, the transportation planning, finance, and community services commissions, and there are new, numerous committees on top of the Irvine Community Land Trust, and now what's formed um, the Orange County Power Authority. There's a lot to cover just here in Irvine. So our focus is um, really on what happens here in our local municipal government. Okay. Well, it does, it takes a special person or and a group of people to get into the weeds of city government and operate with no party affiliation and no ties to special interest as your website spells out. Talk about the membership and how, how you know, you sort of, maybe sometimes you gotta rein in somebody and say, hey, that's a kind of a partisan piece here or uh, the, our partisan pieces allowed because of how it goes after an, uh, an elected accountability in a special sure. way. So we have two sets of articles. We have just regular Irvine Watchdog articles, which are fact-based, very dry, we don't get as many likes and comments on those articles as you can imagine. Then we have community opinion articles, which anybody in the community can submit and we um, publish. And those are the op-eds. And on those articles, you can go after a council member if you wanted to, you can take a more partisan position. It's really, an, it's a platform for anybody in Irvine, any resident in Irvine to voice their concerns about any given topic. Um, we have volunteers who really cover the whole spectrum. Uh, Susan Sayers is a known name in Irvine Watchdog. She's one who is one of our greatest champions for good government. She's probably watched nearly every city council meeting for the, in the last three years. So like 2 um, and two a.m. in the morning, about that kind of watch? Uh, city council meetings, they haven't gone past, I would say, even 10 o'clock. Oh in the last goodness. three years. But yeah, I mean, it's hours long because what we also have the Great Park Board meetings, which are right before the city council meetings on the same day. And she's covered both those meetings. So it's 2, 2 p.m. until sometimes 10 p.m. And it takes quite a commitment. Um, and then we also have a lot of new volunteers who really cared about Irvine, but never really understood how the government worked, how decisions were being made. Um, and so, you know, David Ehrlich, Mel Melissa Masri, they care about the city and they're kind of coming up to speed on the issues now and becoming more familiar with the political forces in our city. Okay, so would you say that your non-party affiliation, I mean, the, admittedly the, the city council is, these are not partisan elections that get them on there, but we know they have their sort of partisan affiliations, but does your nonpartisan affiliation and your independence, does it get you more access to speaking directly with electeds? Uh, speaking more directly, I would say no. I mean, if anything, we're a force working to keep our city council members accountable. So depending on the issue, you know, we're gonna either gain favor or not from our electeds, but um, our volunteers use the same channels as the rest of our city. Um, rest of our residents via emails, public comments during council meetings, phone calls to city hall, to city staff, to the clerks um, when we have questions. I myself was an appointed commissioner under Farrah Khan between 2018 and 2020. Um, and so I really had to take a step back from Irvine Watchdog just because of concerns within the volunteer organization about conflicts. 
And then we also have currently two volunteers who have completely taken a step back because they were appointed by a current city council member as well. So, um, but in terms of gaining access, no, we've tried to use the same means um, as the general public. And we do public records requests, for instance, to get information and we call city hall all the time. <laughs> okay, so that answers a question I've been wanting to pose at some point today while we're together is that you, the, in a way, it's a kind of a launching pad for eventual elected office for your own members, appointment and a possible election. Sure, I mean, I guess so. I mean, what I was appointed to the commission before Irvine Watch, no, no, that's true, it's after. We, we had our forum. So in 2018, we had our first candidates forum, which was a huge success in Irvine. And I don't know if you got a chance to- I was there actually. Oh. I, so that's where we maybe first met. That oh was... yes, yes, okay. at Irvine High. And it was, it was standing room only. And you know the city has other opportunities for the residents to hear the candidates on the issues, but none were as successful as ours. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that our questions were generated from the public. We do crowdsourcing. We put out articles saying, what do you wanna hear from the candidates? What do you wanna know? What are the issues that concern you? And then we gathered all that data and then put our questions together. And there were a lot of questions, but they were so much more hard hitting than the other forums in our city. And um, we wanted to you know, jam pack it in. So we had long answer questions and also yes or no questions. And then we recorded all that and provided that for those who missed the forum on our website. So there was a voter guide breaking up all the different issues and where the candidates stood. There was no other source in Irvine that provided that level of data and information on where the candidates stood on the issues. So you're talking about your some of your projects, bringing these public forums together, top, maxing out what others are doing, but um, are there other yields you'd like to talk about that surprised you in this process? I think one of the biggest surprises was following the money charts. Our charts became what we were known for, these bubble charts. Um, and it is quite a task because these political action committees, the independent expenditures, I was very surprised to see how much special interest money is pumped into our elections every two years. When individuals in the last election, for instance, were only able to donate $530 per person, then you see these independent expenditures spending thousands, hundreds of thousands to support their candidates. Um, it's quite a battle when we need campaign finance reform. A lot of changes happened in Irvine after Citizens United in 2010. And it's been a difficult journey to try to get back control of our city council. And to say that special interests don't have undue influence is just completely wrong. There are a lot of forces. The developers have a lot of influence and their tactics are not always ethical, I would say. So this is not news in terms of the kind of influence. We've had huge landowners that determined major policy level decisions, major expenditure commitments around the city and the, the swath of the county as well. So I wonder how much, Brandilyn, that you're, you're bringing on the, the seasoned you know, watch, watchers, watchdogs that uh, have seen this for a couple of generations, are, are you, or do you have to 
are you inventing this wheel all over again? I mean, I was a, I'm an Irvine native and I have not seen anybody track this type of money or publicize it the way Irvine Watchdog has. And the developers are onto us, the special interests are onto us. And when we actually called one PAC, for instance, because of the way their filing was and it was not clear and they had not reported um, one of their mailers, we couldn't track it. We were told, you need to go get another hobby. Nobody wants you know, this information out there, especially from the special interest. And um, it's def very difficult to track. It's very time consuming. Trying it to is. follow, yeah, it's, it's a web of money going into one pack and then it splits off to three different other packs and then those, and it's, it's they do that intentionally to make it difficult to track. Um, but it's very important because a lot of the decisions that are being made in the city impact the people who are the organizations, the companies that are funding these PACs, and that's why they're there. And one thing I'd love to see happen is for any council member who has received money from any of these special interest groups to recuse themselves, and we haven't seen that happen. No, they tend not to, right? So what about the, is the, the line isn't drawn though at the filings for campaign financing at the election, are you also watching? I mean, there's the classic, some contributor, some donor will pay off somebody's house or uh, their retire their campaign debt. I mean, are you watching all that after election money flowing? We have a couple of volunteers who try to keep watch on the money flowing. Um, we really only have the same resources that the general public does in terms of the public filing going to the FPPC reports, the 460 forms, the 497 forms. Um, and so if it's not disclosed there, you know, we really don't know where else to, don't really track anything else. We don't know where else to go. So um, we're really just checking the public portals that are available to us. And um, unfortunately, if it's not reported there, then we are not gonna be able to find it. Well, but you have resources. There are, back to those seasoned participants in community politics. They're a font that might be a, a way of pursuing financing that is off the, you know, the radar of the conventions that you're following. Do you not see that? We have, but we have not been able to gather enough evidence to report on it. Okay, okay. So are you finding your membership, is, is it expanding? Because people are really, uh, now finding that geeking out on municipal campaign financing is uh, is pretty uh, it's pretty sec it comes sexed up uh, just at the outset because as I just interviewed Democratic state party chair candidate Delaney Easton she was talking about wanting to make sure that more and more Californians know about the joy of participation that was her cho chosen term joy so that. is that joy starting to register locally where your own Irvine watchdog organization keeps growing. Definitely. I see, you know, people want to know about the money. Those articles get clicked on the most. Um, and they almost expect Irvine watchdog now to report on it because we did so in 2018 and it was such a success. You know, we're not experts. Again, we're just volunteers who care about the city and we started noticing a certain trend and we wanna report on as much as we can, but all our volunteers, we have jobs in the day, we have families to take care of and we can only commit so much time. Um, this is not what, we don't get paid in any way. Um, so we do the best that we can, um, um, but our group 
is steadily growing has, and we don't do any advertising. People have, companies have wanted to advertise on our website, but we've just kept it very simple and very transparent. And um, it's, it's an exciting venture because there's really no other source like Irvine Watchdog and there's nobody committed to watching council meetings and commission meetings and board meetings the way we do and giving the residents an opportunity to weigh in before the vote. If there is an agenda item that's coming up that's of interest that we think would be of interest to a particular neighborhood or to the city, we report it and we let them know, you know, give them the staff report, give them the links to participate in the meeting, whether it's via Zoom or ICTV, and this is how you submit an e-comment, this is how you call in. We provide all those links to really um, make sure that the residents have an opportunity to weigh in on the decision-making process. You know, in Irvine, there are a lot of complaints from the residents about, I didn't know this building was going up next to my home. I didn't know about this. I didn't know about the asphalt factory. And, you know, we really want to make sure that residents are given that opportunity to voice their concerns and their opinions before the final decision is made. So for those of you who've just joined us, my guest is Branda Lynn, co-founder of Irvine Watchdog, holding local elected officials accountable. These are municipal electeds that they're focusing on. And uh, here on Ask a Leader, this recording is taking place on April 3rd. This is a two-part segment so that we can finish off what more Branda has to fill us in on the asphalt emission story next week uh, when we continue. So back to what the time we have remaining. So you've got your own blog you're talking about and folks can follow you on irvinewatchdog.org and there's a Facebook page and all that you can, uh, we'll, we'll include that in the, the podcast summary. But are you also working collaboratively with other media? I'm thinking of Voice of OC, Cal Matters, other media, are you doing this, Brenda? Uh, we, we appreciate the support and the work of the Voice of OC and any coverage from the Orange County Register or the LA Times. Um, we do share articles that they publish and we do you know, give them a heads up on certain issues that we'd like them to cover since this is what they do and they get paid to do, whereas we are just volunteers. And if it's so, too much for us to handle, we would do kind of give them um, we, you know, a, a lead for instance, but ultimately we all work on our own. Um, we all have the same goal, I believe of increasing transparency and accountability. Um, and there's just been such a void in independent journalism and keeping a watch on our local government that we, all our volunteers are really committed to keeping watch on Irvine City Council or Irvine City um, City Hall and all the decisions that are being made there. Yeah, this media desert issue is a, is a real concern. And that's where the onus, I feel a real responsibility on community radio to be very topical and, but even if somebody comes from another place to bring back to Orange County where their participation is, is critical. So uh, uh, hear, hear about that. So one thing that leaps out at me is your recurrent use refrain of just volunteers. Now, I would like to see that that, that vocabulary goes away, that there's, that is equivocating your your power. <laughs> mm. So I, I, you're doing an amazing service. There's such integrity in it, I think, and that there, maybe you're not paid, but maybe I, I see your, your, there's an arc rising and the kind of power you're wielding. Oh, thank you very much for saying that. And 
You're absolutely correct. Our volunteers are committed and they work hard and many hours putting our uh, faces to our articles. If you click on any of our articles, you'll see we try to be as transparent as possible. We have a bio and our faces, which not all the publications in our city can say. <laughs> um, and we're excited. I mean, we keep growing every year. There's definitely a need and it's a big commitment that more people have been joining to really increase the efforts. And ultimately we really have a passion to empower residents. If residents aren't aware of the decisions that are being made, then they're not gonna be part of the decision-making process. And that really um, takes away from good government. It takes away from having representative government, especially if those who they represent aren't participating. <laughs> so we're thankful for all the support that we get from the community. Um, if there are ever concerns or questions, we're an open book. You can reach out to us at info at irvinewatchdog.org. Um, and we'd love to have more residents jump in and cover an issue, a committee, something they're passionate about. Each of our volunteers has an issue that they are that they care about and that they focus on. And there, be, there are so many committees and so many concerns in our city, the more the merrier. So Brenda, in all earnestness, do you think that Irvine Watchdog had an impact on voter turnout in 2020 and how many voted and how they voted? Absolutely. Um, our voter guide was uh, shared amongst several social media platforms by residents. Um, we saw the number of hits and that's actually when the most number of Irvine residents tune into Irvine Watchdog. During the off years, uh, we don't get as many clicks, we don't get as many um, likes and comments, but when it comes to election time, that's when it's a significant number. In the last election, we received over 40,000 hits um, on our website. Wow. And the voter guide really, because there really is nowhere else for Irvine residents to go to get this type of information and to hear each of the candidates speak. Um, on the issues that matter to them. And we want to make sure that we don't give them softball questions at our forum. These are questions that Irvine residents have and they're concerned about. And what has been at the top of the list uh, in 2018 and 2020 is the increase in traffic, um, the affordability issue, and actually transparency. I think more we're seeing more residents engaged in public comments during council meetings than ever before. We brought to light the importance of commissions. Nobody knew or paid attention to the commissions. And even now at some meetings, it's only the Irvine Watchdog volunteers attending the, the commission meeting and reporting on it. There's no one else in a city that is reaching almost 300,000 residents. We have perhaps one or two residents attending a commission meeting. And for instance, the planning commission is very powerful. They make often the final decision on development in our city not the city council. And, you know, these are the things that impact us. These are, you know, there's a lot of development happening in the Great Park. The Great Park residents are tuning in more in part to Irvine Watchdog. They have reached out to us and we've become a resource for Irvine residents. When there's a concern, we receive emails. Um, when the two Albertsons in Irvine decided to close down and two new grocery stores were coming in, we received an email um, asking for clarification. 
when the affordable housing units go up in Irvine, um, we receive a lot of emails actually asking about how to get on the wait list. So we, you know, redirect them to the Irvine Community Land Trust that handles all that. So we've really become a source for residents when they don't know where else to go. They have a lot of questions. They reach out to us. And it's been a wonderful process. It's been a learning process for us. Um, we don't always have the answers, but that encourages us to look into other issues and report on them, just seeing what is of importance to Irvine residents, what they're concerned about, and really just to empower them at the end of the day with information. So my last question while we're together in this segment, Brandits, uh, we're going to go into the weeds in the second segment for next week. So uh, we'll talk about the all-American asphalt emissions. And I want to know if you have any homework assignments for our listeners and whether uh, you including in that for we'll cover in the next week, what areas of substantive areas that you're sort of shorter on that you want listeners to sign up with Irvine Watchdog and contribute. So we'll, what kind of assignments do you have for our listeners before they hear you next week? Well, I would actually love to hear what issues matter to your listeners and what they'd like to see Irvine Watchdog report on more, especially during the off years. Um, uh, during the elections, we know what people care about, where the money is, how much money they're getting from where, um, and the, the general bigger issues. But when it's not election season, you know, what are the issues that are concerning you about the city's future, the way that we're developing, the way that we're growing? Um, to even smaller things, public works issues in your neighborhood. Is there an area of concern um, regarding the sidewalks, regarding the crosswalks? We, we love to hear from the community and we love to hear what they want us to report on. Um, it doesn't guarantee we can get to it, but we will do our best. And it's always great to just receive feedback in terms of the types of articles they love to hear from Irvine Watchdog and um, what issues matter to them the most. So the angles here are folks, the info at Irvine Watchdog email, or you can email cshambaugh at kuci.org and put that question right into my script for talking points with Brandilyn next week. Well, Brandilyn, I want to thank you for giving us this time today. You're, you're doing a tremendous service for all of us. Thanks for joining us on Ask a Leader. Thank you so much for having me. My guest was Brandilyn, co-founder of Irvine Watchdog, holding elected officials accountable. This is part one. The next week we'll have part two. Thanks again, Brad. Well, that's my wrap. And for next week's show, California Democratic Party Chair Rusty Hicks is running for his second term. In the second segment, to finish what she started this episode is Branda Lynn, co-founder of Irvine Watchdog, holding local elected officials accountable, raising awareness about the American asphalt emissions, the Great Park, and some city council dynamics. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone. Masks on you and on me. Ulo, ulo, ulo.